Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. This week, as we record, the 22nd edition of the UEFA Women's Champions League has kicked off. Lyon are the defending champions after humbling Barcelona in the final last season. Today, we're digging into the biggest domestic contest in women's soccer. We're looking at the format, the major players, the history of the competition and the reasons you should be tuning in this season. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me are two fellows with the WCL skinny, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Graham Rusman, hi. Hi, Ryan Bailey. Hi, Graham Rutherford. Graham, if you will, a little introduction to the Champions League, the Women's Champions League, I should say. What is it? So this one is fairly self-explanatory because most, if not all, listeners will know what the, the Men's Champions League is and be familiar with that competition. And as the name suggests, the Women's Champions League is the, the women's soccer equivalent. So for anyone who doesn't know what the Champions League concept is, it's, it's a, a pan-European competition that pits the, the biggest and best clubs from across the continent against each other. There are 16 teams involved in the group stages of this season's uh, Women's Champions League, four groups of four. From there, you have the quarterfinals involving eight teams, as is customary, and then you have... Um, sorry, the, the quarterfinals is made up of the top two teams from each group, and then you have semifinals, and then a single-legged final to crown a champion. Marvellous stuff, Graham. And the competition proper has just kicked off this week, um, but there's a qualification process too, right? Yeah. That's right. So as things stand, and, and the format of the Women's Champions League has changed quite a bit over the years as the, the women's game has, has grown in Europe. And the most recent change happened for the start of last season. So I, I would expect this to continue to change in the coming years. But as things stand, uh, four teams automatically qualify for the Women's Champions League. Those four teams are comprised of the winners of the domestic titles of the three highest uh, ranked leagues in terms of the coefficient and the reigning women uh, Champions League champions. So this season, those four teams are Lyon, Barcelona, Chelsea and Wolfsburg. The other um, 12 spots are decided through two rounds of qualifying. Seven are drawn from what is known as the champions path. And if you're, uh, this is all very familiar, uh, similar to the, the men's champions league. It's a little bit convoluted. So you might already know some of this because there is some overlap. So there's a champions path and that is consisting of all those domestic title winners who do not gain en direct entry to the group stage. So they would maybe be from um, lesser nations and leagues in terms of their coefficient ranking. The other five are drawn from what's known as the league path, which is the teams finishing second and third in the top six ranked associations and also the runners up of the next 10 highest ranked associations. Are you, are you following? As I said, it's a, a convoluted system, but then the, the men's Champions League qualifying is also uh, complex. What I would say about the women's Champions League in its current format is that it feels like it's not quite big enough for some of the best teams to be involved every season. So one of the final qualifying uh, matches this season was Manchester City against Real Madrid and Real Madrid won. So they're, they're in the, this season's Champions League. So that means no Man City in this season's Women's Champions League when really, if we're honest with ourselves, they, they're good enough for that level. So the question is, 
is the depth there to go to 32 teams? I would like to see that. And I would argue that you get that depth by just d- jumping in at the deep end. And after a few seasons, if the depth isn't, th- depth isn't there, then it will be eventually. But you'll get some people who argue that that will dilute the comp- competition. So the champ- the Women's Champions League used to be 32 teams until fairly recently. It was a straight knockout tournament, kind of like the old European Cup. They've now gone to this group stage and then knockout phase format similar to the Men's Champions League, but they have reduced the teams from 32 to 16 for this season. Graham's done a really great job of laying out all those details. And it really is because I I wasn't aware of how they did their qualification. So learning about it was fascinating. It also seems really complicated. It gets really simple. It's like any board game. It's like once you're playing it or any card game, once you're playing it, you sort of uh, figure out how it works pretty quickly. But I, I, I love that it's 16 teams now. I think they started with 71 in total. So yeah, Graham, to your point, you have a ton of teams coming through who have to do these sort of these knockout round things. You have knockout groups as well in the early stages of uh, the Champions Path, I believe. Uh, and so you end up getting... Lots of new teams that I don't know that much about, but then you do like end up losing some of those bigger teams that you would expect would provide a better standard of competition. Man City, obviously, uh, chief among them. So yeah. I, it's a really interesting format, but I do agree with you. I think it probably changes in the short to medium term uh, as certain leagues get stronger. It will probably feel uh, less and less fair to, or like, I don't know, less and less good for the competition itself to keep them out. And, and Taylor, just to step back, in my intro, I called the Women's Champions League the biggest domestic contest in women's soccer. That's a fair assessment, right? You mean, basically, it's between this and the NWSL? Right. Yeah, right. I, w- I would say it. I think it, if not already, it is quickly becoming that. Yeah, because you have so many different teams from so many different countries that it is just a a grander spectacle. I think that said, all of those countries maybe fit inside the United States. I forget how big the U.S. is in relation to Europe. <laughs> but uh, I think for the like the small number of teams in the NWSL, the obvious uh, issues going on with the league right now do factor into that in my mind, and I think factor into whether or not a player wants to go play for a team in the U.S. or stay and play for a bigger team in Germany or France or England. So I, I think if it isn't already there it will quickly become the premier uh, club competition yeah and graham jumping back to format and history of the format uh, mm-hmm. the women's champions league has gone under a couple different names and a couple different iterations since 2001 has it not yeah so the uefa women's cup existed from 2001 to 2009 and um, was actually a, a bigger competition in terms of the number of teams that involved than the, the women's champions league is at present involved 32 teams as i mentioned the the when once the rebrand happened in 2009 the women's champions league did actually have 32 teams for a long time pretty much a decade and it was a, a straight knock, knockout competition um but if you look at some of the, the the teams that were involved in the early stages of the women's champions league you had turbine potsdam of, of germany they were the, the champions in, in in the first season and i do think that is quite interesting about some of the teams that have been successful in the women's champions league going back through the years is that there wasn't the investment there from some of the big men's clubs. So now now you've got, you know, Real Madrid investing a lot of money. Manchester United, they're not involved in the Women's Champions League yet, but they didn't have a women's team at all until maybe four or five years ago, and now they're investing in their women's team. But initially, it was up to women's, uh, you know, 
clubs that only have women's teams that are solely focused on, on women's soccer, like like Turbine Potsdam of, of Germany, who have a, had a great deal of success. In Scotland, we have uh, Glasgow City in, in, in this country. They're the most, most successful, historically the most successful women's team in Scotland. So that dynamic is changing, and so it's only natural that that would have a, an impact on the on the Women's Champions League in that format, as I, as I said at the top of the show, I expect that format will continue to change until they kind of find the right formula. Yeah. And and Graham, over the past decade or so, women's soccer in the US has certainly had its challenges. Has it been the same case for this European competition? Yeah, so the biggest challenge for the Women's Champions League in its, its past iterations has been, I think, generally interest and there not being enough of it. So things are changing in that regard. And We'll come on to talking about the growth that has happened in recent seasons, but the lack of investment, as I mentioned there, has has been a problem until two years ago. Um, Real Madrid didn't even have a women's team, which is ridiculous, and, and Manchester United as well, as I mentioned, they didn't have a, a women's team until fairly recently. And, and that lack of investment is reflected in the prize money. So the prize money for the Women's Champions League this season is €350,000 to the winning team. 200,000 euros to the losing finalist, 180,000 to losing semi-finalists, 160,000 to the the losing quarter finalists, and you also get 50,000 euros per group stage win, 17,000 euros per draw, and teams receive 400,000 euros for qualifying for the the group stage. And the most you can earn from a single Women's Champions League uh, campaign, so if you um, we're in the group stage and you won every match all the way through on, on your way to winning it, you would earn just under 900, you'd earn just under, sorry, 1 million uh, euros, which is 990,000 euros overall. Um, there's a total of 24 million euros available for distribution in the Women's Champions League. To contrast that to the Men's Champions League, where there is 2.7 billion available for distribution every every season. So that's, that's like 1%. It's not even 1% of that total number. So... While there is there has been more investment in the women's game and that's starting to bubble to the surface with the women's champions league, there's still a long, long way to go. So that that is a big challenge. Yeah. Slightly different economic playing fields there. But as you say, Graham, um heading in a positive direction. Uh let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's learn more about the historical champions of this competition, the teams to look out for, and who we should be looking out for in this current iteration. Back shortly. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking Women's Champions League. Taylor, talk me through some of the big players, past and present. Players, I mean teams. <laughs> <laughs> I could do both if you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Lyon is where we have to start. Uh, they are uh, the, the most successful club in the Women's Champions League. They've won it eight times. They've been runners-up twice but they tend to win it quite a bit. They won it five consecutive times from 2016 to 2020. They're the current champions. They beat Barcelona in the 2022 final. They always have a ton of talent. Uh, this season, Ada Hekeberg is unavailable. Katarina Macario is also out with injury. Jennifer Marasan and Sarah Debritz also not going to be there due to injury. And yet, they are still one of the favorites to win it because they just have so much depth and so much talent. Uh, you get PSG uh, spending more money and becoming a sort of also-ran in a lot of ways. They have yet to win it. Uh, they've been runners-up twice. Uh, going back further, uh, German clubs, as we've already talked about with Turbine Potsdam, uh, historically quite good, quite successful. Uh, Frankfurt, chief among them, they've won it four times. So a few entries there in terms of who have been uh, successful in the past and in the present. Um, Taylor, Barcelona went on that historic winning streak. Um, was it mm-hmm. 2021, I think it was, or into 22. 
Um, I was expecting to see them higher on the honors board in this competition. Yeah, I, th- I think as, as Graham talked about with uh, Madrid coming in late, with Man United coming in late, Barcelona, I wouldn't say as late as those two, but certainly uh, not uh, around as long as, say, Lyon. But they have come on leaps and bounds. When you talk about the sort of best teams or the most memorable individual teams, I would have them on that list. I, I think there's two that really stand out of my mind. They're one of them uh, in that that team that goes on to win the final 4-0 over Chelsea in a final. First of all, that's pretty emphatic. They knocked out Man City, PSG along the way. They uh, featured the likes of Lika Martins, Caroline Graham Hansen, but then also Jennifer Hermoso, Alexia Puteas, uh, uh, Alexander Bomati, tons of talent from that Spain team that we now uh, know much more about, I would say, because of this Barca team and how strong they were. Uh, mm. So I think that is, though they haven't won multiple titles, mm. that one that they did win, pretty memorable. Yeah, and it feels like we kind of have a bit of a dynasty between those two clubs at the moment. So obviously Barcelona and and Lyon play last season's final against each other. Lyon win that one, Barcelona win it the the season before, and then obviously you have the the streak of five wins from Lyon before that. But to me anyway, it feels like these are the, the, the two strongest two teams in European football right now. And if you look at the the honors board of the women's champions league there there's some interesting stuff in there so behind leon you have eintracht frankfurt who have won it four times um Umea from sweden who have won it twice mm-hmm. and then you have volsborg um the aforementioned turbine potsdam they've they've also won it twice arsenal are the only english team to have won the the women's champions league they won it all the way back in 2007 and barcelona became the first spanish team to to win it last year so as I think I've said this a couple of times, it kind of feels like there's a, there's a shift happening in in uh, in women's soccer at the top of women's soccer anyway, in, in 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 the women's Champions League, and we might start to see some kind of more of this the men's super clubs spending quite a bit of money to to win this competition, and Barcelona yeah. have been one of the the first to do that. I know we're going to talk a bit about this year's competition, Graham. With that in mind, with the kind of super clubs being able to spend more. Doesn't that feel a bit like a layup for Todd Bowley at Chelsea? That I think money goes so much further in in the women's league, at least at present. That mm. feels like one where he could splash a little bit of money, make them into just a, a juggernaut of a team. Maybe they already are, but I think you add a few more uh, faces to that one, and they could be uh, serious challengers this season. I, I, I wonder if that's a thing that he has considered. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if 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 he has. Obviously, Chelsea are are already a, a pretty decent team. Mm-hmm. Last season was disappointing for them; they didn't make out of the group stages. But two seasons ago, they they made the final of this competition. They were they were the team that lost to that Barcelona, that great Barcelona side in in the final. So there is a precedent for them doing well in this competition. And I think if you look at the the English teams, I mean, the three English teams that potentially could win this thing, maybe not this season, but just speaking generally, are Chelsea, Arsenal, and Man City. And it feels like Chelsea are maybe at the top of yeah. uh, top of that list. So absolutely, I think Todd Bowley would would be wise to invest more money into that into that Chelsea team. Obviously, they have spent big. You know, Sam Kerr going there. They've got Emma Hayes, who many would um, see as one of the best managers in the women's game right now. So they do have that platform. But it feels like they they could replicate what certainly what Barcelona have done over the last few years. So Graham, let me ask you a tricky question: If there was an equivalent of a European Super League breakaway in women's soccer <laughs> who would be like the ringleaders Barcelona and Lyon obviously you said two of the top uh-huh. teams there Chelsea along with the ride who, who else would be in that pack do you think PSG yeah so I think that, that yeah PSG well they they, they they have a strong team at, at the moment and that, that French rivalry between PSG and Lyon is, is, is pretty strong so PSG Bayern Munich um, have spent a bit of money recently Georgia Stanway going to, to Bayern Munich after the, the Euros she was obviously part of that 
that England team that won the Euros. Wolfsburg are, are, are a, a bit of a superpower in, in the women's game. Um, NWSL team City and Arsenal. Juventus are the Italian champions in, in, in Italy as well. And they've they've really been riding that wave we've had in the last couple of years of big crowds. You know, last season and the season before, we saw the camp now being sold out by Barcelona. Last season, they sold out a classical and a semi-final against Wolfsburgs in, in, in this competition and Juventus have done similar they've they've actually been getting better crowds than uh, the men's team which you know considering how they're doing at the moment maybe isn't too surprising but nonetheless given the, the natural order of things that is that is that is notable so um yeah I would say those teams are are, are pretty much your there's there, you're starting to get a reflection of the men's game now and I, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing but the the clubs with the most money to spend are starting to rise to the surface Graham but it does it does feel a bit to me like it's like if you're talking about the the Super League it would be Lyon is like 1A Barcelona I think at present is 1B and then I think you've got some teams underneath them but it is like I agree with everybody you listed there it just still feels like a pretty sizable drop-off yeah, I think I think that is fair. I, I Barcelona I could buy that they are one A as well. I think they have the potential. They've been unlucky with unlucky with injuries. So um, tell us one's that won the the Ballon d'Or this week, but she is she's currently out injured. Missed the the Euros during the summer. So if she comes back, then Barcelona's level rises a little bit. I could buy that there are two um, teams on an on, on an equal footing. But you're right. Beyond that, there is there is a bit of a gulf. All right, uh, Taylor, looking at this year's contest, mm. um, who are the major players? And once again, I'm using pa- players when I should say teams. Yeah. Uh, who are the major teams? I know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> Le- Le- as I said, Lyon will still be in that conversation, though they do have, again, a number of very prominent players missing. But again, they have so much depth, so much talent, and also so many young players capable of coming through or, or making kind of that break that I think they will still be heavily involved in the knockout rounds. But it might be... It might not be their year uh, if if things don't go well. Barcelona still has Puteas out, as we've already talked about. They added Lucy Bronze, Kira Walsh, and Brazilian forward Gese from Real Madrid, which seems like maybe uh, it turned some heads. So I think Barcelona Reverse are... Figo. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, hopefully uh, she does not get the same treatment that Figo did. Uh, but So I think Barcelona are... Weaker in some ways, but stronger in others. I would expect them to to still be pretty powerful in this competition. Graham mentioned uh, Wolfsburg, who are sort of retooling, trying to kind of get back to like the level that they were at year, like a few years ago. Uh, Lena Oberdorf being chief among those plans. She's 20 years old. She was the young player of the Euros, and I think will be a star performer for them. Uh, and then... You've got PSG, although Marie Antoinette Catoto is out with injury from the Euros. She's their all-time leading scorer. Their starting center back, their main center back, Paulina Dudek, also out for the season. So two key absences there. Uh, I would also point to Chelsea. I think Chelsea uh, like have done a good job in building their squad and kind of finding that stability. And I would say of the English teams involved in this, tough to write off Arsenal. But I think uh, I would be watching a Chelsea game or two if I can. Okay. And Graham, how about some of the the key players in the league this season? We've mentioned a few names already, but say if I was looking at some of the uh, European champion England players, it seems a lot of Manchester-based players, for example, not just at City. Yeah, so um, Barcelona, I think Taylor might have mentioned this already, mm-hmm. but Lucy Bronze and, and Kira Walsh going yeah. to, to Barcelona feels pretty significant. I'm a massive fan of, of Kira Walsh. I think she she did get a bit of credit during the Euros, but not as much, in my opinion, as, as she should have as the as the base of that England midfield. And so I think you put her in that 
that Barcelona team and she is going to improve. In fact, we saw this in um, the, the England-USA game that was played recently. Kira Walsh had this moment where she's inside her box, her own box, and she just takes... I was panicking. I'm not English. And I was panicking <laughs> watching her inside, the, inside her own box. But that feels like the Barcelona influence already where she's just so calm and composing the ball and she just kind of turned and found a pass out of trouble and, and that was it and away England went so I, I'm a big fan of Kira Walsh uh, Georgia Stanway going to, to Bayern Munich as well as, as another significant move uh, Alex Pop is is fit again for, for Wolfsburg so she's there to bang in the goals. Taylor mentioned Katoto's out injured for PSG, but they have signed uh, Leakin Martins from, from Barcelona. So they are spending big still to try and keep up with the level that, that Lyon have. What what I would say about the two, WS, the, the two S, uh, WSL teams um, is that Chelsea have a difficult group stage draw. So they're in a group with PSG and Real Madrid. And on top of this, Emma Hayes is on leave at the moment due to a medical issue. So... That's a tricky yeah. one. And then Arsenal are also in a difficult group with Lyon and, and Juventus. So it feels like, despite the fact that the two English teams do have a lot of quality, um, the group stage draws make it difficult for them to kind of build up any momentum. And it actually wouldn't surprise me at all if both of those teams went out early doors just because of how difficult those draws are. Yeah. I don't know why. Arsenal-Juve is like one of my favorite jersey combinations. I really don't know why. But it just it feels like a good proper like uh combination of uniforms for football so i look forward to that game and graham i appreciate you noting some of the issues with chelsea i think they lost their opener uh to liverpool this weekend yeah uh, and the liverpool on the women's side certainly not nearly as strong as they are on the men's side so that was a, a, a pretty sizable defeat for them yeah and in terms of the growth of the women's game in general obviously in the u.s we might take for granted how popular the women's game in is but Graham in Europe the, the certainly... league's failed multiple times so I don't know no, if we but, should be taking anything for, for granted but I mean in terms of the national program yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of women's yeah. soccer being a, a culturally uh, popular phenomena which it's not necessarily been in Europe say uh, say even five years ago and Graham I think having watched the European finals in, in England this past summer and seeing pubs packed out to watch those games yeah. and seeing like my family members and friends packing out in people's houses to watch these games which as I say, five years ago, they wouldn't have done so. And I think the, the, like the BBC and various networks have done a very good job of putting women's soccer front and centre. And it seems like the Women's Champions League is experiencing tremendous growth. We're seeing like sellout games in, uh, in, in Spain, for example, domestically. And we're seeing you know the Women's Super League in, in England grow <laughs> tremendously as well. It does seem like the, the curve is, is increasing in a positive rate. Yeah, absolutely. In the last year, I would say, year or two, has felt like a, a real watershed moment for women's football in Europe. Obviously, the, the Euros in the UK was was massive, as you mentioned, Ryan, but I would argue it was happening before that tournament even took place. And as you mentioned, there were sellout crowds at the Camp Nou for, for um, Barcelona-Real Madrid games and that semi-final against Wolfsburg. There were sellout crowds at Juventus. Arsenal had close to 50,000 at a North London derby just a few weeks ago. And they'll actually be playing all their group stage games at the Emirates Stadium. So I think they're hopeful for some of some, uh, big crowds for those games as well. And there is a greater pressure to, to, to on, on the big men's team to spend more on, on their women's team. And, and I do think that is making a a big difference there's there's much more of a focus now on making women's champions league games and and just women's games in general feel like an event 
Um, and that includes having games at some of the, the bigger men's stadiums like the Emirates. I think Manchester United have also played some games at Old Trafford and stuff like that. Um, there's also some other factors. So from the start of last season, a new TV deal was, was struck with Dazon and they hold the rights for the Women's Champions League for, for around the world. And even better than that, the matches are free to stream on YouTube. So basically what this is doing is it's just removing the barriers that used to exist to stop fans from going to games. It used to be the case that women's matches would take place at smaller stadiums that there wasn't the infrastructure around in terms of public transport and it was more difficult to get to those games. Well, guess what? Now they're taking place in, in, in the bigger stadiums that do have those public infrastructure systems around them and it used to be the case that it was difficult to find these games on TV. Well, guess what? If you've got an internet connection and you can get on YouTube, now you can watch these games. So the removal of those barriers is really significant. You also have sponsors jumping on to the Women's Champions League. So Adidas, they paid just as much to UEFA for its sponsorship of the Women's Champions League as it does the Men's Champions League. I think Visa does something similar. So, you know, you've got big multinational, uh, globally recognisable brands starting to to back the women's game and the Women's Champions League. And just this week, EA Sports became a, a partner of the Women's Champions League. And that means the Women's Champions League will be in FIFA that's huge. That that could be another transformational thing because young fans often get into soccer through FIFA and you would think this will surely draw more of them to women's football. So once you factor in all those different things, you you get some explanation as to why the Women's Champions League is, is growing and growing. Wonderful stuff. Always good to hear that FIFA and UEFA are going to make a bit more coin, Graham. Indeed. Are they still are they still splitting? Aren't we still losing? Like, isn't FIFA going to do its own thing? Uh, like, how does that factor yes. into things? Uh, uh, I'm not sure, but that is happening. Yeah, that's that. that the FIFA 23 is the last ever FIFA in its current iteration, meaning the last FIFA cre- uh, developed by EA Sports, and then from next year it will be EA FC. I think it's going to be EA Sports FC. Um, so weird there you go still gonna call it fifa though aren't we That's the but thing. the thing is there's gonna be another fifa yeah. so uh. gianni infantino says that they're gonna make the best game ever and it's gonna yeah. blow the EA sports one out of the water i mean you know i don't believe them but i mean i yep. look forward to see how that turns out <laughs> while we're talking about things that gianni infantino has said uh at the closing press conference for the women's world cup in france in 2019 uh, President Gianni Infantino outlined a proposal for the creation of a Women's Club World Cup starting as soon as possible, and that is the last entry in the Women's Club World Cup Wikipedia page. So I don't know if we should totally trust what Gianni Infantino says all the time, uh, especially because I think a Club World Cup is just a, a complete layup uh, for for getting eyes on the game, uh, because so often we want to see NWSL teams playing the best teams from Europe in a competitive mm format and we don't ever really get that so i think that is one way in which the game could continue to grow fifa could make a lot more money which is what fifa always wants to do uh because i think the the women's champions league i've already said it is is becoming if not already the biggest uh club competition uh, on the women's side of the game probably on the men's side too uh definitely on the men's side too so i i think it's just gonna get that interest uh increasing and growing and I, I don't see it slowing down and so I think any, anything you can do to then bridge that and, and yeah. make even more meaningful competitions I think is for the better uh, which is a strange thing to say about asking Gianni Infantino to create more competitions no, knowing how competitive UEFA and FIFA are against each other and knowing yeah. what the kind of political situation is between those two uh, organizations it, it's surprising to me that UEFA haven't really floated the idea of inviting NWSL teams into 
the Women's Champions League because that would then completely usurp anything that FIFA would come up with. If, if you've already got a competition that, as, as we've agreed, is maybe the biggest women's club competition in, in, in the world, just adding the NWSL in. And obviously there's other factors, you know, maybe fans don't want that. It wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't be a European competition then, you know, would you, would you be the world champions? Would you be the European champions? There are other factors, but just in terms of the growth of the game and also the political situation, it wouldn't surprise me to see that being floated at some point. That'd be a really fascinating test case for, yeah, we're going to invite the, t- the top two teams I don't know, the regular season champions and the playoff champions to compete in next year's Women's Champions League, like subsidizing the travel or whatever. Because you then, as outlandish as that might seem, if you're UEFA, you are sort of taking control of that. And if you're adding, like, you could then make it like the Champions League of the world presented by UEFA. <laughs> like, I think, I think there's a world yeah. in which that makes a lot of sense. I'm not totally against that. I, I, I think that might actually be pretty decent. Weird. Weird, wild stuff. So aside from uh, intercontinental competitions and Club World Cups, what what do we see in the future for this competition, Graham? Do we see maybe greater parity with the men's game, maybe in terms of prize money? Where where do you see this thing in, say, 10 or 15 years? Yeah, I do think greater parity in terms of the prize money, not just the prize money, but the the broadcast revenue as well. So UEFA has, has, um, over the last 15 years, really, they've, they've... had this great effort to centralise everything. Um, and I think we'll now start to see the merging of the, the women's and the men's Champions League in terms of the the revenue and, and, and the money generated. It might not be complete parity from the start, but I do think we'll start to see the, the gap start to to narrow because there's, there's pressure on organisations for them to do that now. The reason Adidas and, and Visa and all these brands do it is because obviously there's good PR in it for them to do it and there is that public pressure. So I think we'll see that. I do also wonder if, if UEFA could somehow integrate the, the men's and the women's Champions League in a, in, a, in a sporting sense as well. So this idea would need some finessing, but how about we have the men's and the, men, the, the women's and the men's teams playing on the same night with the same ticket for both games. Or maybe a more workable idea would be to have them play on back-to-back nights with the same ticket. So it's just about, again, removing those barriers to to as many fans as possible. If you've got a ticket to go and watch Arsenal in the, in the Champions League on a Tuesday night, you also get into the Women's Champions League game on, on a Wednesday night. And I know it doesn't line up perfectly because there's different teams in the men's and the Women's Champions Leagues, but where, where possible, I would like some form of of integration there um so that would that would be one idea UEFA they can't get complacent with the growth of the last few years because there has there's still a lot of ground to make up so you still need to have slightly different ideas maybe a little bit more innovation that, than you would have in the men's game which is obviously a little bit more uh, established but there there's certainly reason to be optimistic Yes, there is indeed and listener uh, we remind you that you can watch these games on the zone on on YouTube uh, which is great. As, as Graham mentioned, there's a, a fewer barriers to access to get to see this competition. Taylor, my final question for you. Give me the elevator pitch. Why should I watch this season's UEFA Women's Champions League? I think the best argument for me would be the same as why you shouldn't just watch the Men's World Cup or the Men's Euros and then not watch anything else because you miss uh, players developing in the years between those competitions, but also because... So often we want to see the best players playing on the same teams and you get that sometimes on the national teams, but then you get them leaving their national teams and coming together to make an even better club team. And when you have all the reps that you get when they play at club level, you're then getting 
probably the best football you can see on the women's side of the game uh, in those club in those clubs playing against each other in a knockout competition like the Champions League, where there's a lot at stake, increasingly a lot at stake, as Graham pointed out, with all the money uh, coming in. So I think there's just you get the talent, you get the competitiveness, you get new clubs that are sort of de- developing at the same time as you get the kind of the old uh, bigger clubs that we've come to know uh, also developing. And so I think it's just a very exciting time to tune in. Very exciting indeed. And Taylor, very exciting talking to you on this Soccer 101 episode. Thank you so much for your contributions. Thank you so much. Graham, same thing to you, but your name instead of Taylor's. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And listener, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Soccer 101. We'll be back once again with another one on the feed very shortly. Thank you again. But for now, catch you later. (laughs) 